You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome into the Ots and Audibles podcast. I'm Matt Preem. Eric Scopel is with me as always. And Eric, it's officially game week. Uh, Oregon will open up the 2020 football season this Saturday, November 7th, 4.30 p.m. Pacific time. Game is televised on ABC against the Stanford Cardinal, an important early season Pac-12 North football game. And before we dive into the show, I want to remind you guys today that you can subscribe to DuckTerritory.com for $1 for your first month. $9.95 $9.95 there after that. Or if you'd like to go and subscribe for an annual membership, you can pay $75.18 up front one time. And that saves you over $36 over the course of the year compared to that month-to-month price. Both get inside scoop on the Oregon Ducks, expert analysis and opinion. Read all the content across the entire 24-7 sports network. You get to join an awesome Oregon Duck football community on our message board. And you also get CBS All Access for free. That's a $99 value that gets added on to your membership. Both options get it. Uh, and that comes with at CBS's live TV, movies, on-demand TV shows, college football. Uh, you get live sports. Uh, all of it streamed through your device. And it's free. All of it's also commercial free uh, with your membership to DuckTerritory.com. Eric, uh, Oregon versus Stanford. We're going to dive into the Cardinal a little bit more later on uh, this week. We'll, we'll take a hard look at what David Shaw and Stanford will be bringing north to Eugene for the football game. But we're going to devote a lot of today's show kind of on, on just what has transpired within the football program the last three and a half weeks or so as they've now finished fall camp. Um, We're going to look at the offense first. We'll look at the defense on the back end of the show. And I think Eric, the, the one caveat here is we're recording the show before some position decisions have been made. And I think that right there is maybe a topic. Like, is it, is there any concern yet that crystal ball hasn't come out and said that there is a starting quarterback Uh, or that he hasn't set in stone yet who his five offensive linemen are. Um, Is there a strategy to that? I think that's what's going on, that Cristobal has – he's going to take advantage of any any situation he has that helps them. And right now, Stanford has to prepare for both Tyler Shuck and Anthony Brown because they don't know who is technically the starter. We think it's going to be Tyler Shuck. We're pretty confident it's going to be Tyler Shuck. But by not naming a starter yet, it's forcing, even if it's just 30 minutes a day in practice or in film review or what have you, they're forcing Stanford to devote some time on Anthony Brown. I think you're exactly right. And and that's exactly where my mind is at too. And and I will say it's been kind of strange um, just how, I guess, noncommittal he has been. Um, considering that he has also said Tyler Shuck, it sounds like has taken basically every first team rep. And this is a strange fall camp where, again, we're not at practice to report what we're seeing. We're taking what the coaches and the players and everybody who's at practice who we speak with 
we're taking their word for that's kind of what we've got. And that's the information we have along with some stuff we're hearing outside of that um, from sources and everything um, off the record. But yeah, it's, you know, I guess part of me, and I think I'm sure there's part of the fan base that feels this way as well is is a little concerned of like, boy, is Tyler Shuck, are they wavering on this? Does he, has he not won this job? Is this a situation where both quarterbacks look bad? I mean, that's like kind of the worst case scenario. That's kind of where your mind can go. um, If you want to go worst case and best case is, is maybe like, well, maybe the guys are both really competing. Um, and it's really, really two really good quarterbacks. And I think it's probably more of an element of that. But I also probably side more with what Matt just said of, I think they know who the quarterback's going to be. I think they've kind of made it about as clear as they can without officially saying it. But by not officially coming out and saying, Tyler Shuck is the quarterback. And we should know, you look around the conference, I know Oregon State and Washington State just announced their starting quarterback situation recently. Um, you're seeing this stuff take place. Oregon hasn't tipped their hand completely. They haven't come out and been completely committed to that. And you're not opening your season against Montana or Nevada or a lesser opponent. And when you have an actual quarterback competition like this and you're playing Stanford, one of your most bitter rivals in the conference, a team who I think we both don't expect to win the division, but seriously could come into play there, you know, if the season ends up getting wonky and have certainly have been in the past. You don't want to give them any advantages. You don't have to. And I think I agree with Matt. I think that's where we are at. I'm expecting Tyler Shuck to be the quarterback. In fact, by the time you're listening to this podcast, Oregon may have released a depth chart and have said as much. Um, that part, I mean, we might even get, um, I, I messaged Kevin Wade, our colleague, to say, hey, go, give us a Slack message, which is our communication uh, application. If they do announce a quarterback, so we can discuss it on the podcast, if there's a quote unquote breaking news. So, um, I think it's going to be Tyler Shuck. I think you think it's going to be Tyler Shuck, and, and I agree. I think there's not as less. It's not wavering with Tyler Shuck. Um, I think they know who it's going to be, but they're trying to be. There's a little bit of gamesmanship right now um, as they're heading into game week. And and that's how. In in the normal year, we probably have a starter right now because the media is in the camp, and it would probably exactly. get out that yeah, Tyler Shuck is is different than Anthony Brown or uh, that. It's true, yeah. Shuck is taking all the reps, or in the scrimmage that we watch, that you know Oregon, you know, has a has a clear advantage with Tyler Shuck over Anthony Brown, and that kind of tips the hand a little bit. Um, COVID has made this season completely different, and it's unhinged. It's up, you know, flipped upside down every normal aspect of a fall camp. Now, I, I think everyone gravitates, myself included. Um, Chris Ball gets it; he's joked about it. Everyone gravitates towards the quarterback position. And that's everything that, that that's where the conversation starts. When if two duck fans were to meet on a sidewalk in a street, the, probably the first thing that they're gonna talk about is who's gonna replace Justin Herbert. Um, I, I think the bigger and maybe the more important question for me is peel back the layers, get past the quarterback thing, because yeah, it's important. It's very important, but it doesn't matter who you have. If you don't, you know, at quarterback, if you don't have an offensive line and we don't have yet a set in stone starting lineup there either. And I think it's safe to say Alex Forthice is the center, right? Like, yes, the junior from Westland, he's, been a key guy off the bench for Oregon the last two seasons. Everyone the last two years has raved about him again in fall camp this week, this year he's being raved about. Um, It then gets to where does the other four guys 
land and who are they? And Eric, I think there's a real concern, not of the talent, but of the depth at the tackle spots. And it maybe didn't really hit home until this past week when I did um, my side of projecting the two deep depth chart. And I was sitting there doing the offensive line and boy, offensive tackle is very, very thin. I mean, there's a lot of guard tackle type guys that can play there, but just from a pure tackle standpoint, there's not a lot of guys. No, exactly. And that is where, yeah, I think when they talk about cross training guys, we were kind of like, okay, yeah, that makes sense. In a weird year, you might have to do this just to ensure you have the players with experience at all these spots and, and, you know, with the COVID element included as well with trying to find out, you know, the, the, again, the methodology behind this whole thing, according to Cristobal and, and offensive line coach Alex Mirabal was you find your five best guys and then you plug and play them. And it kind of made sense of, okay, well you move everybody around a lot, but I do think you look at it and also go like how many pure tackles do they have on the roster. Um, Steven Jones and, and George Moore are pure tackles. We think Jonah Toyano is a pure tackle, but it sounds like he hasn't even really practiced this fall. Or, or if he has, it's been very limited. Um, Jalen Jeffers uh, is a true freshman who's certainly a tackle, but I don't think either of us are expecting him to like jump in and, and play really, really meaningful reps. And if he's called upon, that probably means there's been some injuries and, and some stuff that's gone down that's forced him into that position. Other than those guys, like everyone else's primary position or best position is probably guard. Um, and so... I think you're going to lean upon Jones and Moore in particular almost all season as these two kind of cornerstone guys at tackle as the two guys that are probably the only ones whose whose real pure position is offensive tackle. And so it'll be interesting again when we see this depth chart in its entirety to kind of see, I think we both expect those two guys to be on the one line. I know Matt predicted that um, when he made his predictions last week, but who's in the two line, I think is going to be interesting. Will it be a situation where we see, a couple like will we see a TJ Bass or a Malasala Amave Laulu who we expect to be two of the starter starting interior linemen? Will we see them on the two line at backup tackle? Will we see a Jalen Jeffers at a, a backup tackle spot? Is Jonah Tuiano even done enough in camp to, to put himself in that position? And does Oregon run into a spot here <clears throat> against Stanford where this this potentially comes into play where there's somebody goes down? Knock on wood. Um, where they're having to lean upon a younger player that really isn't prepared for that spot. So I'm, I'm with you that I think I feel really good that Forsyth's the center. I think that's it's similar to what Cristobal has said about Chuck at quarterback. When you look at Forsyth, he's basically said Forsyth is the center without saying he's the center officially. Um, he's talked about how he's, you know, he hasn't really discussed anyone else when talking about center recently, and he's really spent a lot of time talking about the leadership for Forsyth at center about how he's been able to not slow down with the ball in his hands and instead speed up. Um, All indications are that he will be a center. And then it's just figuring out what happens around. And I think Matt nailed it in terms of I've totally fallen in line with what he's predicted for the first team offensive line. And I think Matt's probably being honest. And I know I'm feeling this way of like, I don't have a super clear picture of what that two line is going to look like right now. Yeah. And it, the two line is, is interesting. I, I think if, you were to say, okay, we we are okay putting a guy in multiple spots. That's what's going to happen um, on the depth chart. Like, uh, like I I think we could end up seeing uh, a, a Sam Patasi listed at both left guard and at right guard, um, or maybe a, a Jonathan Dennis listed at you know both guard positions, or 
maybe we we see. I'm just throwing this out here. Maybe we see Malasala Omave Lalu as your right guard, but also your backup left tackle or your backup right tackle. Um, you know, I I'm gonna I'm gonna expect to see some interesting names along the offensive line, and that's where initially, you know, the okay, Chris Randazzo opting out, not a big deal. He wasn't going to be a key guy in twenty in in. 2020 anyways because of the upperclassmen and what have you and you look at that from a, an individual perspective and okay it, it's one that Oregon can get by uh he was going to be a depth guy they can they can get past that oh now Penny Sewell has opted out has opted out at left tackle okay that that's that really hurts that's the first big one but they should have the, the <coughs> bodies they should have the depth and then Jonah Tuanu is now hurt in fall camp and it's oh wow well maybe Chris Rendazzo would have been really important in 2020 uh, Penny Sewell's departure now is, is really bad uh, because, and you understand why, but from a depth perspective, it's, it's huge. And now we understand why Jalen Smith, uh, a true freshman defensive lineman, has bumped over to the offensive side of the football because they literally don't have a lot of bodies left. I mean, it's Dawson Durlamillo and Jalen Jeffers right now as, as your two tackles. And Durlamillo has just a handful of game experience under his belt. He has 10 games, excuse me, he has one game of game experience under his belt. He played in one game in 2019 against Nevada uh, in just three snaps. And then they came at center. Uh, And then Jalen Jeffers is a true freshman. So Oregon cannot afford to have an injury at this position group because there a isn't a lot of depth and B the depth that there is on, on the offensive line. It's all young. It's all inexperienced and you've got a ton of guards, but you don't have very many tackles. I mean, Sam Patasi is a senior. He's a guard. Mar- Marcus Harper is a freshman. He's a guard. Logan Sagapalu guard center. He's a true freshman. Uh, Falape Lalu is a massive guard at six, six, 400 pounds, essentially. <laughs> uh, he's a true freshman. And and that's you know all you got. So you have Jalen Jeffers and Dawson Jeremillo. And and so you hope Jonah T gets healthy. Um, you hope Oregon doesn't suffer any injuries, but there's not a lot of guys right now along the offensive line. Uh, and that kind of segues over, Eric, into the, the next position group. And they're also dealing with injuries. Uh, that's the tight end group. Um, I think going into the year, we said that Cam McCormick, if healthy, was probably Oregon's top tight end. Um, we, we felt that Hunter Campmoyer is the most experienced, but he is limited. Um, he's an elite blocking tight end. Uh, but I, I think Hunter w- would not be uh, upset at this, but you know, in his previous three years at Oregon, two as a tight end, he would probably admit that, yeah, he hasn't really been you know, a lethal threat in the passing game. You know, he had just five catches for 59 yards and a touchdown as a junior last year. Doesn't mean he can't improve. Certainly think he has and expect him to. But to, to sit here and say all of a sudden he's going to become a 50-catch, a 500-yard, you know, receiving guy is a pretty big leap of faith. Um, Spencer, Spencer Webb is nicked up, as Mario Cristobal said it. And look, Cristobal said that he's nicked up. He should be back soon. He said the exact same thing about Jonah T two weeks ago and Jonah T is still not back from practice. So 
read into that as you wish, but I don't want to speculate too much on injuries, but without being able to confirm that a guy is in practice and working with the team, uh, you know, with my own eyes, it's kind of hard to take, you know, should be back in the next day or two too seriously because, you know, coaches, I understand why they're going to do it. They're not going to, they're not going to give us the full story unless they absolutely have to. And that, that leaves Oregon with two other guys at tight end behind Hunter Campmoyer, Patrick Herbert, a redshirt freshman who played in two games in 2019 and DJ Johnson, who played in 13 games for the ducks in 2019, but was incredibly raw as a tight end after moving over from D end after the 2018 season. Um, certainly going to be an interesting year for Oregon at the tight end spot. Yeah. We should note that, um, and you kind of already touched on it here, but they're taking Cam McCormick very slow getting him back, it sounds like, which was something we also didn't know until Saturday when Mario kind of made that point clear. Um, we didn't know. I mean, we'd asked so many pointed questions about the tight end position group all fall camp. We asked Bobby Williams, a position coach, about it. He was pretty coy. We asked Joe Moorhead, I think, twice about that. I know, actually, I know that. I asked the question both times. He was pretty limited in what he wanted to say didn't really name any personnel players just kind of said they're all working and progress blah 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 um and mario cristobal had kind of been in the same place until saturday when he was asked specifically about those two players and communicated that yeah it doesn't sound like either of them are full health it doesn't sound like either of them are fully practicing it doesn't sound like maybe either of them are going to be and they've been reading into this too much like fully available right now um and if that's the case you're leaning upon uh, spencer or sorry hunter campmeyer we, who Matt just outlined kind of the concerns there. And then Patrick Herbert and DJ Johnson, who basically played no snaps on offense in their careers at Oregon. DJ Johnson was playing defense last year. Um, Patrick Herbert redshirt last year only played a handful of snaps. So it's not ideal. And, and I do think that's a concern. And, I, and I'm, I'm probably guessing and leaning that we're going to see a heavy dose of Hunter Campmoyer yep. on Saturday. And I'm wondering what that does in the passing game. I mean, Joe Moore has talked about how they want to run a lot of two tight end sets and that they want to throw the ball to the tight end a lot. Do we think Hunter Cantmore is ready for that? Are we sure Patrick Herbert or DJ Johnson are ready for that? Um, and we should know, like DJ Johnson, I think there was real question in the spring based upon the position move and we watched four practices and I'll, I'll say this, was, it didn't look like a natural pass catcher. Um, and, and that's not totally stock shocking considering he hadn't played the position since like 2015 or 16 when he was in high school. Um, but are, you, like, are any of these guys going to be ready to be helped in the passing game? And what does that do to the offense? If you don't have a tight end, you can really rely upon. Um, and it's a brand-new quarterback, and it's going to be some younger receivers that you're leaning upon as well. I think there's some real concerns in the passing game now. Um, and I, there were, I shouldn't say now because we already felt a lot of these things, and we discussed these on the podcast in the past. But if you take McCormick and Webb out of the, the, the discussion, I mean, I think that's arguably who we thought were maybe the two best tight ends from a, like, you know, the – overall perspective when you combine the blocking and the pass catching elements. So um, some definitely question marks there too. And I, again, I, my, my, my guess here is we're going to see a lot of Hunter Campmore and it's going to be primarily as a blocker and maybe he'll surprise us and catch some, several passes and be impressive in doing that. And I think everybody hopes that's the case, but I also think there's real question marks with that group. Now I receiver I look at this and think I'm fairly confident in this group, but I also have a ton of questions. <laughs> like that's kind <laughs> yeah. of like the easiest way to sum it up. I, I think so. I mean, that's where I'm at too. <laughs> like 
I'm very confident Johnny Johnson is going to be a very good receiver for Oregon and one of the better receivers in the Pac-12. I'm very confident that Jalen Red is for the third for the fourth straight year going to be one of the most underappreciated receivers in the conference. I'm going to think in terms of national affair, media affair, fan affair, whatever. I think Oregon knows who he is and appreciates who he is and will utilize him. But I, I don't think he ever really gets the recognition that he deserves for what he brings to the table and the importance within the offense. I think Micah Pittman is going to be really good for Oregon in 2020, especially now that he's healthy. Yeah. But like, I also have concerns that Oregon's three best receivers are all six foot or smaller. Like, that's going to be an interesting dynamic. I mean, uh, you, I'm not saying you have to be, you know, a six foot five to six foot four receiver to be good, but it sure the hell makes your offense a lot better. If you've got some of those guys out there that can go win those jump balls and just physically impose a, a defense. I don't know if Oregon has that yet, or will they ever get there this year? It's kind of how I feel a little bit about tight end. We were just talking about it, about how we think there's this upside there and this potential there, but part of me is concerned if we're going to see that early on. Um, are we going to see that against Stanford? And I think Stanford's defense is very susceptible against the pass. They're ninth last year in the Pac-12 against the pass. Paul Sanadebo, who was undoubtedly their best corner, has opted out to, to, to focus on the NFL. I think there's I think there's going to be opportunities in the passing game against this defense. And now it's just a matter of do they have the personnel at receiver to do so. And I, I, I'm with you. I think those top three guys are all going to be awesome. And I think we've heard enough about Chris Hudson that we can expect him to be involved in some meaningful way as well. And I think, I mean, part of me is still holding out quite a bit of hope that like, man, Devin Williams, there's so much talent there. seems like the players are more willing to, to compliment him. I know Veron McKinley ran through guys on offense that had impressed him so far. And, and Devin was one of the players he mentioned. Um, I thought that was notable, and I, and I can't recall exactly who else it was, but that wasn't the first player in fall camp who kind of, you know, thrown a some compliment his way from a defensive perspective. But it's not like we've can sit here and say like the coaches are just raving about his fall camp. And I think in a perfect world, that's where we would be, where we would say, hey, okay, you've got Johnson, Red, and Pittman, who we all I think kind of had expected would be the top three, and I know I had Devin Williams kind of in that conversation along with Pittman for that out that other outside receiver spot. But it's not like this fall camp transpired in a way that really gives you a ton of confidence in Williams. Um, you know, we, we, you read Rob Milsey's practice reports. He's clearly running with the second team, which doesn't mean he's not going to play a lot. I mean, at receiver, you could, if you're running with the second team, you're going to see the field most likely um, and probably a decent amount. And I'm sure there's going to be certain formations where he's, you know, running with, you know, is one of the primary guys, but, how much can we expect from him? Same thing with same question about Brian Addison. And then we've run through all these other names that are kind of further down the jet chart, or at least we think are. Um, and there's not been a ton of confidence or clarity. And those players certainly haven't been mentioned as much. Um, when Mario Cristobal runs through players that have surprised him, I mean, there's been, I think, consecutive weekends, Mario Cristobal has kind of run through the names that have really stood out from the team. And we haven't really heard any of these young receivers mentioned there. And, and, and again, not that that means they're not going to be productive or capable of being productive, but, that sort of thing sticks out to me when I'm listening to what he says and when I'm watching those videos back um, and listening to what kind of who he seems to be excited by and the lack of some of these bigger receivers and their names not being mentioned. I'm with you, Matt. I'm a little concerned there. Do I think there's capability that these guys can really make some big plays? And I, I will say, I think one thing that gives me a lot of optimism is that Tyler Shuck and Johnny Johnson seem to have a really good chemistry. Um, they're both from the Arizona area. 
Um, they're tight. They're good friends. Chuck and Johnson worked out all summer together down there when they were both in that area. Um, I think there's reason to think that those guys could have a really good connection from the beginning. So it's not like you're starting from ground zero here. Um, but I think there's, again, I'm with you, Matt. There's still a lot of question marks as we enter this, uh, this opening weekend. Offense as a whole, what's kind of your, like your gauge right now of this, of this unit? Like, do you feel like this could be one in which they're the best in the conference or is that even too far? Is that too far down the, uh, the rabbit hole for, for this program to be worrying about discussing? Like, is that even possible right now? Yeah, I would say I would expect USC to probably have the best offense in the conference. They return their two of their top receivers, well, three of their top four receivers. They bring Keaton Slovis back now with a full offseason warming up to be the starter. I think some people forget, like, he wasn't really even supposed to factor into things down there, except for if it weren't for some injuries. Um, and he looked, I know against Oregon, he had his up and down moments, but overall, you go and you look at what he did, it was pretty impressive. Um, I know they lost some offensive linemen. I know the run game hasn't always been great there, but I expect that's probably going to be the premier offense. And, and I probably would lean on like an Arizona state next. I think Washington state just based upon the prolific nature of what we've seen there. And some of the players they have back are probably better. So yeah, I don't think I'm looking at Oregon's offense thinking this is like going to be the best offense in the conference. I also think the defense, which we'll talk about in a second here is going to be so good that they won't have to be that way to win football games. Um, and I think really, I think what we're going to see early here or what I'm expecting them to try to do is really lean on these running backs. Um, you didn't talk a whole lot about them in the segment, but that's part because I don't think we have questions there. I mean, we, what we heard this last week was that there are four to five of these guys that are Pac-12 caliber starters. And that includes Richard freshman, John Dollars, and true freshman, Trey Benson. Um, I expect we're going to see, and, and, and Mario Cristobal was asked, like, what do you do with these guys? Well, you play them all. I think we're going to see a lot of running backs, and I think maybe we're going to see a fair amount of two running back sets. Um, I mean, I don't think we're going to see that as like a base package, but I wouldn't be surprised at all to see Verdell out there with a bigger running back frequently or, and maybe die out there with a bigger running back, and, and you have an opportunity to run some option stuff with one of those guys almost as a lead blocker. I know Jim Rastra didn't completely discount the possibility of seeing a fullback. Um, maybe what a fullback is in that offense is – a Trey Benson or a Cyrus Abibilikio or a Javon Wilson who are 215 to 225 pounds, little bigger physical guys. But I think that's where I'm expecting Oregon to lean in this opener. I think we're going to see Tyler Shuck have some success. I just wrote, you can go check it out on duckterritory.com. Uh, my five predictions from that game, one of them related to Tyler Shuck having some success passing. But the other big one was, I think you're going to see a lot of CJ Verdell. And I think you're going to see a lot of success with him running the football in this one. And that's the thing that does give me some hope. And I guess the only caveat there is if this offensive line isn't very good, how much can you expect to get from these running backs, regardless of how talented they are? Um, Mastro talked about how they want to get these guys out in space a little bit more rather than just running them between the tackles a lot last year. Um, I fully expect they'll do that. But um, I, I think there's a lot of questions on offense still. And I, I mean, that's not totally crazy considering we didn't get to watch anything in practice. We didn't get a spring game. Um, and they're opening their season this weekend. But um, I think I'm expecting we're going to see a little bit more run-dominant offense maybe to start the season. And, of course, that's assuming that Oregon's able to build a lead here um, and have an offensive line that's productive as well. Yeah, real quick, I, was gonna, I wasn't going to gloss over the running backs, but I was going to more ask you this question of knowing what we know of the uncertainties along the offensive line, the inexperience, knowing that we know they're breaking in a new quarterback, can we expect C.J. Verdell to have one of the better years 
granted he stays healthy in the country. Is that on the table for him? I think so. And he's set his goals lofty. I know he's, he's, uh, he said, and it was a couple of weeks ago, but he said that he's hoping he's shooting for a thousand yard season, which again, that's not that crazy of an expectation. Actually, that's probably should be the baseline in a normal season um, for a starting running back at a school like Oregon that has a strong offense, but in a six game regular season with a seventh crossover game, and then in a postseason game, and maybe you play in the college football playoff. So you get to nine games, maybe, but let's just say it's eight. Cause that's what you're kind of guaranteed. Right. It's 125 yards per game. That's a lot, but I don't think it's crazy to expect him to do that. And I think the almost the one thing that would maybe sort of slow him down here is if they really are going to incorporate all these running backs, as much as they're talking about, does that take away touches from him? And, and in the big picture, that's, probably not a bad thing because they're probably relying on these other running backs because they're productive players. And I don't think they're just going to play five running backs just to play five running backs. But maybe the one thing that stops him from having this sort of breakout 1000 yard pack 12 offensive player of the year season is just that there's maybe a couple too many cooks in the kitchen for Oregon on the run game. Um, and you're going to see a little bit more of a balanced approach than you would at other schools in the country where they really just, you know, pound it 20, 25 times with their starting running back. And that's going to be my question of how many running backs do we see in 2020? And do any of the younger guys pop up with Trey Benson or Rashawn Dollars and take away some of the carries? And should Oregon maybe limit, you know, maybe don't give CJ Verdell 20, 25 carries in a football game. Yeah. That way you ensure that he plays the entire year because when healthy, he's clearly one of the best running backs. Uh, in in the country, it's just his problem in the last two years is that he hasn't been able to stay healthy um, for an entire course of a year. All right, let's say a quick break. When we come back, we're going to dive into the defensive side of the football and just kind of what we learn, what we've learned through fall camp, and kind of what questions we do have going forward. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news. You call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. All right, welcome back to the Autzen Audible's podcast. I'm Matt Prem. Eric Scopel is with me as always. And if you enjoy the show, please give us a review on whatever platform that you listen to us, whether it's iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, uh, give us a review and make sure to subscribe to the podcast as well so that all future episodes get sent directly to your device. Okay, Eric, uh, defensive side of the football, um, this is the one in which was hit more so than the offensive side by opt-outs. Um, Javon Holland is gone. Brady Breeze is gone. Thomas Graham is gone. 
All three guys expected to be starters for Oregon's secondary in 2020. Diomede Lenore opted out, but then has now since returned and has been with the team since the start of fall camp. He hasn't missed any practices. So I think that is a huge win for Mario Cristobal, Andy Avalos, Rod Chance, the defensive back coach, uh, because you now have, in our eyes, uh, two bonafide all Pac-12 caliber corners in Lenore and also Michael Wright. Is this defense, knowing the opt-outs, is this defense still the best in the Pac-12? I expect it will be, honestly. Um, and I think they're going to flex their muscle a little bit and get Stanford. You know, this is a Stanford offense that last year, frankly, was really up and down, and, and they had a lot of injuries. You go look at – I think they started three different guys at quarterback. Um, and, and, and I know there's talent there. And, and Stanford probably hasn't recruited the way they would have liked the last couple cycles – but they still have upperclassmen that are big-time NFL players. Um, and so I, I think I think there is a possibility that Oregon really dominates here. But I also think you have to expect Stanford to at least have some guys. I know they bring back some of the, one of the more veteran receiving cores. Um, but I also think I look at Oregon's defense and, and think that that secondary is going to be very capable of locking those guys down. Um, and I think overall, like, the strengths of this defense are still the same strengths, right? Like, yep. they still have Kayvon Thibodeau at, at the defensive end, and he's still going to be – I think the best pass rusher on the conference and they still have, I still think, and maybe people, you know, you could probably point to Washington because they've had a lot of talent there. Um, we spoke, we spoke about last Friday about um, Elijah Molden and, and the talent he possesses. We talked about Talanoa Funga at USC and the talent he possesses as other players in the conference in the defensive backfield that are good. But I still think the totality of Oregon secondary is going to be the best in the conference. Um, I think linebacker is probably the position group that you, I don't want to say are most concerned about, but they have the least clarity exactly for what you got, just because you are replacing some guys and um, you're going to have several players that are kind of new starters in there. But I'm still expecting this to be a really, really good group. I think they're going to be among the top two to three in most categories defensively. And I think we're going to see that in the opening game against Stanford. Again, I don't want to give everything for my predictions away on the podcast because I want you to go read that. But I, I am making some pretty bold predictions in terms of what I'm expecting from this group against that Stanford offense while also admitting that I think Stanford's talented and I think that they're going to have at least some guys that are going to challenge Oregon defensively, but I'm expecting the Ducks to be competent enough there to, to shut down that Stanford offense for the most part and provide this Oregon offense, hopefully with some breathing room where it doesn't become Tyler Shuck late in the game, feeling like he has to drive and make plays and where you're, you're able to kind of lean upon this run game a little bit to kind of finish things off. Up front defensively, you touched on Kayvon for a second there, but Oregon's got – I think this is probably the, the deepest group on the team. Mm-hmm. Um, Kayvon Thibodeau at defensive end, Jordan Scott at nose tackle, Lawson Faldio at defensive end, defensive tackle type deal. Um, Popo Omave is a junior, and quite honestly, if, if Jordan Scott had said that – and this is no discredit to, to Jordan's impact at all because I think he's a potential first-team all-defensive – lineman in 2020 um i just think had jordan scott came out and said that he's not playing in 2020 he's going to go pro um i i my first reaction was okay well popo amabe would be is more than capable of being an elite defensive you know nose tackle for this defense and my question then becomes who backs up popo you know it's not necessarily can Oregon replace jordan because i think popo can um or bring, you know, bring different things to the table, make, you know, be a little bit equal in some parts and maybe a, a little less in other areas, but Oregon would be fine with Pope with, with Popo at nose tackle. Um, 
with both guys back, I think that tandem is special. Um, Brandon Dorless, Keon Ware Hudson, and Christian Williams are three guys that are you know, younger defensive linemen that have just had the coaching staff raving for now a year and a half. Um, I, I, I honestly think if Folio wasn't here, uh, if it, you know, the starting lineup would probably have Popo at defensive end, defensive tackle type role, and Doorless, Christian Williams, and Keon Ware Hudson would be, you know, the primary backups to the, you know, the nose tackle and the defensive end spot. And you'd think Oregon would be totally fine. Um, I, I look at some of the younger guys on this roster, Jason Jones, Braden Swinson, Jake Shipley, um, and think, boy, Oregon has an insane amount of depth that they can get through with some injuries and still be totally fine from a depth perspective. I think we entered fall camp feeling really good about like the team's top five defensive linemen, but kind of wondering, okay, who else is going to emerge? And boy, it sounds like Christian Williams and Ken Ware Hudson have stepped into those roles. I mean, it almost sounds like Christian Williams is somebody that we can really expect to break out this year. Um, I don't want to put too many expectations on him and what that looks like, considering there are a lot of experienced players ahead of him on the depth chart. But I mean, any chance, and I mentioned earlier when, when Cristobal was asked to kind of name guys who stood out, I think Williams was like the first, those two guys were the first guys he mentioned. I mean, he started there um, as guys that have just been leaping off the tape in practice. And um, that's really significant. Red, two red shirt freshmen. Um, Brandon Dorless was the only one of that, that group of freshmen last year, along with Kayvon Thibodeau, who didn't use their, their red shirt year last year and played under four games. Um, it sounds like those two guys are just ready to go. And I'm excited to see what that looks like. Um, I'm excited to see kind of where they fit in. You know, do we see them go for down linemen with those guys? If that's really a strength there, do we see them lean upon that a little bit? Maybe in, in Stanford this week, right? A, a team that we think is going to probably want to run the football pretty much, at least want to try to establish that. seems like Oregon might have the depth to, to roll out four of those guys um, and play a little bit more four down linemen than they did in the past. I don't think they're going to do that every week, but I wouldn't be surprised about that either. And I think and that's the thing that's exciting is I think the developments on the defensive line allow Andy Avalos and Joe Salavea and Ken Wilson and all these guys in the front seven to maybe get a little more creative in what they can do each week. Um, you know, each, each, opponent is going to provide different matchups and, and I wouldn't be surprised at all if we see and I even have a little bit of an inkling we're going to see this a little bit I'm not saying they're going to start the season with those four guys in the field but I could see I could see Oregon really playing more four down linemen this year and I think that's a credit to the depth they have there um, and it sounds like you mentioned them it sounds like Braden Swinson is somebody who's really been impressive behind Kayvon Thibodeau we should also mention that Brandon Dorless, who I think we had thought was more um, nose tackle defensive tackle defensive end as opposed to a player who would back up at Thibodeau, it's also been mentioned as somebody who's kind of in that light. So um, I feel much better, I think, of the defensive line. I, I'm honestly, probably, if there's a position group on the entire team that has improved their stock in my mind, and again, I went into fall camp thinking this was going to be a good group, it's probably the defensive line, just because it seems like there have been three or four guys who are just getting a lot more compliments from the coaching staff than we had had previously. And I'm really expecting a Keon Ware Hudson and a Christian Williams, those two guys in particular to really jump onto the scene this week as younger guys that we didn't see a whole lot of last year. Linebacker is another one where there's a lot of excitement with this group. Obviously I think the two names that everyone wants to talk about, everyone wants to know when will they start? When will they play? How quickly will they become superstars? And that's uh, Noah Sewell and Justin Flo. And my first take to that is, 
slow it down, not so fast, because you're overlooking the best player in the whole entire group, and that's Isaac Slade Matuatia. I'm with you, and we and we're we're on. We've been talking about this for a couple of weeks in the podcast, and we talked about it last week, I think, about how you look at this and go, probably not going to start either of these two freshmen to open the season. I mean, Samson knew, or sorry, not Samson knew, Noah Sewell maybe surpasses Drew Mathis and starts at Mike. I don't think we can over we can overlook that possibility. It's possible. But I think the more likely thing is we see those guys coming off the bench and still playing a lot. I don't think you're going to see those guys just not play at all on defense. And maybe we do see them primarily on special teams early. But that speaks, I think, to the talent that Oregon has on at this position group and the depth they have on this position group, that they can lean on some of these older guys. And I think you're right. I think you look at ISM and, see, and say, that's somebody who could have a special year. And I know the loss of Troy Dye is big and significant. I don't think you can expect – one player to completely fill in for all of the intangibles he brought, not just on the field, but off of it as a leader, um, as somebody with experiences. I think one of the, he might be the only linebacker in school history to lead the team in tackles all four seasons. Um, I don't think you can expect, I mean, that's a lot. So that's a big, a big ask, right? Um, and we should note he moved over to that wheel spot um, that, that Troy was playing previously this off season. Isaac did. Um, I, I'm with you. I'm expecting him to be, a star player at that spot. You know, one of the things I'm, I'm, I'm expecting is he was, he led the country last year in pass deflections for a linebacker. I think he had 12. I'm expecting him to actually catch a couple of those. I know that's been the joke between Ken Wilson and Andy Avalos this, this, this off season, this fall camp is that like, well, the, he's obviously good at getting in, in position to make the plays. And now if he starts catching those and, 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 and maybe making some returns with them, he can be one of those players that, yeah, not only is he one of the top players in the conference, but, Maybe one of the top players nationally at that position group. I I think Noah Sewell, I think Justin Flo will be impactful players for this team mm-hmm. uh, in, in 2020. I mean, it's not going to surprise me one bit if Noah Sewell is, he, is actually starting at one of the inside linebacker spots week one against Stanford. Um, I think it's going to go Drew Mathis just because of, you know, you always typically shade with the older veteran, more experienced player early on, unless a guy is just superiorly better across the board than his counterpart. I don't know if we can say that about Sewell today. Maybe in two or three weeks we can. Um, Justin Flo, that's one where maybe he bounces around a little bit. Maybe he's a special teams guy. Maybe he's you know a, a backup at the um, Will linebacker spot where Isaac Slade is. Maybe he goes to the outside a little bit to play there. I, I think that's one in which – I don't really have a, a concrete feeling of where he plays. I know he's going to play. I know he's going to be all over the field. I know he's going to be an active player on this defense. I just don't know yet where. And maybe that's a concern. Maybe that's a question, not necessarily a concern. Yeah. Um, on the outside, I think we know Mace Funa is starting at stud. Um, who his backup is could be up for debate. I mean, Andrew Folio has been discussed, Isaac Townsend, Trevor Mai, Jaden Everett. Um, nonetheless, I, I, it wouldn't surprise me if KT, you know, plays a little bit there in, in 2020. Um, if Oregon needs to go jumbo from a, from a, from a defensive line perspective, and maybe they bring a, a, another defensive tackle on and drop cave, you know, cave on down to, to, yeah. to stud or something. I um, but, the other linebacker spot, the outside linebacker spot, Adrian Jackson 
feels like the starter should be the starter, but that's one in which kind of really don't know yet where and who all is playing there besides Adrian Jackson. Yeah. I know they've mentioned Jackson LaDuke, another true freshman who we haven't mentioned on this podcast. I've talked about in the past is somebody working over there. Um, Andrew Folio, I think is full-time stud. It sounds like, um, I think same thing with, Trevin Ma'ai, maybe Jaden Navarrete, another true freshman, is somebody that was working over at that Sam spot. Um, really quickly, I think you bring up a good point there, and, and I was talking about going forward defensive linemen. Maybe the solution against some of these bigger de- offensive lines is you just put Dorless over at KT spot, and you have KT standing up at the stud. Um, and maybe that's where you you get a little bit more you get a little bit more of those pass rushing guys in the field there. Not that Mace Foon is not a quality pass rusher, but KT is obviously the superior talent from that regard. Um, I think that's an interesting idea and maybe something to watch for. I know they mentioned that they did play a little Thibodeau last year at Stud, which I think was kind of lost on me. Of course, I didn't do a deep dive and watch every single play of every game, but I didn't really recall that. Um, I would Maybe that's something we'll see a little bit in 2020. Um, and yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how they utilize this stuff from a formational perspective, because if you're doing the math at home, you're going, well, three down linemen, the Stud, which is a hybrid position, three more linebackers with Adrian Jackson at that Sam spot, and then five defensive backs, including that nickel position. Well, that's 12 players. <laughs> you can't play 12 guys. Um, and so there is going to be a, a bit of a piss, uh, sorry, a push and a pull here in terms of kind of what the personnel groupings look like. I know we think Jamal Hill is a really talented player at nickel. There might be games and situations where that nickel position is not utilized very much. And Jamal's right. not on the field very much. And the, response to that is you see a lot of Adrian Jackson at Sam or you see what we just talked about a second ago of putting an extra down lineman on the field and that takes off that nickel position so there's and, and that's the, one of those exciting things for Andy Avalos's defense here is you've got a lot of different talented players who have a lot of different I think skill sets that are all very different from each other and that provides you the opportunity to kind of mix and match and kind of figure out the best solutions and I'm going to be watching, I think, very closely on Saturday against Stanford to see kind of what are these kind of what, what are they do like what's their base defense in this game? And then the next week against Washington State, which is those are about as two different offenses we think because we haven't seen Washington State play yet, but we know that um, Nick Rolovich's offense is typically that run and shoot, pretty similar to what we saw under Mike Leach. That's probably going to be a game where you see more defensive backs on the field. So I think it's going to be very interesting seeing week to week from a personnel perspective. And I'm hoping we're provided with snap counts after games. I know that was something that, that Oregon's sports information directors have talked about kind of working on getting to us. I'd love to kind of see how that changes from week to week. Will we, you know, I think we could really see different personnel looks um, and almost the defense have different kind of faces from week to week, depending upon um, what the game plan uh, requires and provides. Secondary Oregon, I feel like, remains as loaded as ever. Um, they've taken some hits. Nonetheless, yes. The the depth of this of this position group is a little bit thinner than it was, you know, before COVID-19 hit. But that being said, I think you do have all conference caliber guys and a Diamond Lenore and a Mikhail Wright and a Verone McKinley, possibly a Nick Pickett. I mean, I look at four guys and say they have all conference caliber guys there. And we're not even talking about Jamal Hill, a sophomore who everybody has raved about in practice this year. 
everybody has said Jamal Hill is a dude and was just waiting for his opportunity. And that year has now shown up a year earlier than expected. Um, we're not talking about Jordan Happel, a senior transfer from Boise State who knows the defense, who Keith Hayward said day one he showed up. He instantly made his presence felt because he knew what he was doing. He was vocal. He was active. He was all over the place. Uh, we're not talking about five-star cornerback Dante Manning. We're not talking about sophomore cornerback DJ James, who played in all 14 games for the Ducks last season, who was expected to be a starter at the beginning of the year when we didn't know Lenore was coming back. Um, Oregon has a ton of talent still with the secondary. And it's, I look at this group and think it's still one of the better position groups of the unit, even though three guys have left and all three of those guys probably will be in the NFL next season. I think that's a testament to just how good this unit overall was going into the year before all the COVID, you know, COVID opt opt outs happened. Yeah, I'll say it this way. I, I, I'm not going to be surprised if when the 2020 season is completed and in the books, we look back and say the defensive backfield is the strength of, was the strength of this defense. And that I say that also saying, I think the defensive line has, as I said earlier, great depth and talent. And I think the linebackers clearly have probably on paper, the most highest ceiling from a talent perspective, just with those two five stars. Um, and there's still some question marks for how all this comes together. Um, but not as much as you, I think, as, as some people want to make it out to be. Like the reality is, is that Nick Pickett and Verona McKinley, for the majority of last season, were the starting safeties on the best defensive backfield in the conference and one of the best in the country. And that's not changing. I think people want to freak out and say, well, Brady Breeze uh, and Javon Holland and Thomas Graham, that completely changes the complexion. Well, not really at safety. I mean, I know Breeze factored in at the end of the season, and I don't want to discount what Brady Breeze did because he was awesome down the end of the season, an incredible playmaker. Um, a player who I think people will look back at in five to 10 years and just remember the way he finished that season and the Rose Bowl and the Pac-12 championship game and against USC and all the plays he made. He was the player who recovered the fumble against Oregon State. But the reality was that for the most of the part of that season, he wasn't a starter. He was coming off the bench. He was their third safety. So they have the same two starters basically at safety this year. And Diomedy Lenore obviously was a starter at corner last year and Mikhail Wright was I mean, I know he didn't start last year, but um, he played an awful lot, uh, was a freshman All-American, uh, was one of the most dynamic defensive backs in the conference. He's going to be – I don't have a whole lot of qualms or concerns about him. And then the nickel spot is, is definitely the one that is the most different than what we would have expected and certainly the one I think fans are probably least confident about. But like Matt said, Jamal Hill is just sounds like he's going to has potential to be just a stud and a star. And again, it's also possible. We don't see that position on the field quite as much as last year. I know I think John, you know, they used Javon Holland a lot last year just because he was so talented and they had that luxury. We might see a little bit more of a traditional kind of four linebacker operation up front. And maybe that nickel spot, which I think for some people feels like a concern. It's probably not for me, honestly, but maybe we just don't even see that concern really Maybe that's just mitigated, I should say, by the fact that you are able to play different personnel groups that take that off the field um, for more than you'd expect. So I'm with you. I, I think there's a ton of talent here. I think there's a lot of experience, which I think it's lost on people. I mean, Nick Pickett and Diomedi Lenore have, the, I think, the second and fourth most starts of anyone on this entire team. Um, and Verone McKinley last year started 11 games. Overall, I, I'm fairly confident in this group still being – one of the better units, if not the best unit in the Pac-12. It will be one of 
the best defenses in the country. Year two under Andy Avalos, defensive coordinator. Um, I, I think things are set up for a big way for this Oregon defense. And I look at from a short-term and from a long-term perspective, um, the, 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 the opt-outs of Graham, the opt-outs of Breeze and Holland will sting short-term wise, but you could argue, Eric, from a long-term perspective, this helps Oregon be better prepared for u- future years because Mikhail Wright's going to get more snaps now in 2020. Um, DJ James is going to get more snaps now. Jamal Hill is going to get more snaps now. Dante Manning is going to get more snaps now. And you look at this and think, and Steve Stevens, he's going to be a guy that's going to get more snaps. Um, it's allowed for the return of Jordan Happel, who has already come out and said that he plans to be on Oregon's team in, in 2021. Mm-hmm. Yep. And so the, the, the bridge for 20 to 20, you know, from this season to next will be a lot easier to cross because pre COVID you were expected to lose Diamond Lenore. You were expected to lose Nick Pickett. You were expected to lose uh, Thomas Graham. You were expected to lose Brady Breeze, and you were expected to lose Javon Holland. You were going to lose five guys in one year, and that was going to be just an extremely difficult roster change in 2021. And now you're losing Diamond Lenore. I don't think he comes back, even though he can if he wants. I don't think Nick Pickett will come back, even though – even unless he wants, you know, even though he can, if he wants to, I don't think he will. Um, you're losing two, uh, two guys out of your entire starting lineup and you're positioning yourself for, I think a, a year in 2021 where it's conceivable to say, Hey, Oregon's defense should be if as good in 2020 in, in 2021 as they are in 2020, if not better because of all the guys coming back. All right, now we got breaking news. The depth chart just dropped. Uh, do we want to do we do we want to respond to this? I just sent it to your Slack if you want to look at it. Um, let me run through the stuff. I mean, I think this is yeah. This we is should, gonna, we should we should talk about it. This is going to be. I mean, this is going to be a record long podcast now. Um, but the first note here, it's still an or Shuck and Brown on the depth chart. Uh, so no official tipping of the hand as we expected there might be. Um, other notable things at tight end. Campmore is the first team, but there's an or behind him, McCormick and Webb. Um, offensive line, George Moore at left tackle or Steven Jones, right tackle Jones or Moore and Amave, uh, TJ Bass left guard, no or there between he and Sam Putasi, Alex Sorsite and Ryan Walk there with an or between them at center and Amave Laulu with an or in front of his name, um, or after his name between he and Ryan Walk. So, uh, I just ran through a lot of information, but I think the big takeaway is they still haven't tipped their hand at quarterback. And uh, that's certainly notable. I mean, it goes it goes back to what we were saying on the show yeah. is that they're not going to announce these types of deals until they absolutely have to. When they absolutely have to is when the first team offense rolls out week one at 440 or 430, whenever Oregon gets the football against Stanford on Saturday. And so I'm not surprised by the by the oars with Shuck or Brown. I'm not surprised. Uh, with the oars at the at the tight end position, I'm not surprised with the oars at the tackle spots. Um, I am surprised 
that Ryan Walk, and this goes to what we were saying about we expect multiple, you know, one guy to be in multiple positions on the two deep. I just was not expecting Ryan Walk to be one of those names. He Same. is both backup to right guard and at right at, at center. Um, a, it's a hell of an awesome story for Ryan Walk, a guy that was a walk-on from Sheldon High School in Eugene, same high school as Justin Herbert. Um, he hurt himself in his senior year and could not play, didn't have any film. Really, no one was looking at him to, you know, from a, a Division One level, chose to walk on at Oregon and has been basically the backup on the depth chart at center the last two seasons, has been on a travel roster, has earned a scholarship now, and is look, looking like a guy that's going to be in line, you know, to be kind of some – a, a guy that plays, you know, all over the place. Um, defensively, there, there's one here on defense that really stood out to me. Can I share what it is? How is about, it doorless? No. How about Kayvon Thibodeau over Adrian Jackson as the team starting Sam linebacker? Oh, and that kind of tips. Their, that. Well, we were just talking about a second ago. Will they find a way to get Thibodeau on the field in other positions? Um, that's not super. That's that was not expecting that. I was thinking he'd be on the stud spot. Um, yeah, and, and we should note, yeah, as Matt said, but behind Kayvon Thibodeau on this uh, dip chart is, is Brandon Dorlis. At um, D and D tackle. And, yeah, and, and, and Dorlis is also behind Austin Fallu at defensive tackle. Nothing on the, the front uh, line on defense there really stands out. At linebacker, it's still a Drew Mathis or a Noah Sewell. Isaac yep. Slade Matuatia is the starter at Will linebacker. Justin Flo listed as his backup, but there's no or there. Mace Funa at stud with... Andrew Fallu and Adrian Jackson behind him, but no or between there. The, the only or on defense is uh, Drew Mathis and Noah Sewell at the Mike linebacker spot. Um, everything else is set in stone there from a starter's perspective. Uh, Jamal Hill start, is the starting nickel with Jordan Happel and Bennett Williams behind him. We should note Happel and Williams also the backup field safety behind Verona McKinley. So, um, Wow. It's some interesting stuff here. It's fun seeing a depth chart. I'll say that. Uh, we should also note here kind of I, I, maybe a little surprising. I know Triquest Bridges or Dante Manning listed here. Daywood Davis listed as the second team field corner behind Mikhail Wright. And uh, as expected, Yamane Lenore's backup is DJ James. Nick Pickett's backup is Steve Stevens. We weren't really surprised with any of that. But, oh, I, I mean, we're getting these reactions on the fly here. So the listeners are, I mean, it's kind <laughs> you're of, just I, geeking I, out and you love it. Oh, I'm just, oh, this is the stuff I live, uh, live and love. You know, I, I live for this kind of stuff. It's really, it's fun looking at this, especially after trying to kind of piece through all of these things, just listening to the coaching staff uh, the last couple of weeks. Um, certainly some surprises. I don't think anybody had really considered Thibodeau um, playing a much linebacker this year, but clearly his versatility will come into play. Now, look, Chuck is – I do think it's notable that they do list Chuck or Anthony Brown. It's not Anthony Brown or Tyler Chuck. Um, if you really want to get deep into reading the tea leaves type of a deal. But nonetheless, we said this at the beginning of the show. We're not surprised. This is what we expected at the show because they should. They don't have to. And we'll speak with Crystal Ball you know, in a couple hours of releasing this podcast. Um, we'll get more clarity on this, but you can go to duckterritory.com. Uh, and and fully consume and get yourself familiar with this new depth chart. But nonetheless, it's out. We've got a good idea of what Oregon football will look like in the 2020 football season. And we are going to cover it all here on DuckTerritory.com. 
Thank you for listening to the Austin Audible's podcast. For Eric Scopel, I'm Matt Parim. We'll talk to you on the flip side. Talk to you later, folks.